Okay, this is Gary Parrish again from CBSSports.com. Again, it's Thursday, December 11th, and this is the Ion College Basketball Podcast, brought to you by Squarespace, which recently launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try it, go to Squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off. That's Squarespace. Start here go anywhere. My guest today is Jeff Eisenberg. Jeff, of course, writes about college basketball for Yahoo Sports, one of the more uh, talented and thoughtful guys who does it. And there are a whole bunch of things I want to talk to him about here. Uh, but Jeff, if you, if you don't mind, I want to start with what was probably the biggest midweek matchup we had in college basketball, Kansas at Georgetown. Jayhawks won 75-70, but um, as you pointed out in your nightly report card, it, it's how they did it that was kind of encouraging. Brandon Green made shots uh, specifically five three-pointers. Frank Mason continued to look uh, like a capable, if not really good, point guard. And then Kelly Oubre played a season-high 16 minutes. He wasn't great, but he had moments, and he played 16 minutes, which is way better than he had been doing. So you add it all up, and Kansas now has um, a six-game winning streak since losing by 32 to Kentucky last month. And, the, um, and in that winning streak, there's wins against... I guess Michigan State, Florida, and now Georgetown. Assess the Jayhawks for me. Have, have they done enough to eliminate whatever concerns might have existed, you know, immediately after that 32-point loss to Kentucky? Yeah, I know you guys have uh, have talked about it on the podcast a lot, but I, I think Kansas is a work in progress at this point in the season, as are, uh, you know, probably most teams not named uh, Duke and Kentucky. Right. But, but I, I think that they're, they're coming along pretty nicely, and... Uh, you know, seeing Brandon Green come off the bench for uh, for five threes in a game where they needed him to hit those, since Georgetown was zoning so much to uh, to protect Josh Smith, I thought that was big. Um, you know, any semblance of progress from uh, Kelly Oubre at this point has to be uh, encouraging, yeah. and I, I thought last night was uh, the best game I'd seen from him anyway. Uh, and then probably, I mean, the biggest concern for me coming into the season about Kansas was the point guard situation, and. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say that all of my concerns are alleviated, but I, I certainly think Frank Mason has uh, done a nice job kind of uh, tightening his grip on that position and uh, solidifying that position for Kansas. And so, you know, if if he can hold down that point guard position and if uh, Green can provide them that shooter off the bench that uh, they lost when uh, Connor Frankamp tra- transferred, uh, and if the freshmen continue to come along, I mean, I, I would think at some point this season they're going to be getting consistent production out of Kelly Oubre, even if that takes well into Big 12 play. So I, I guess my take on Kansas is that, um, you know, I, I think they're probably, I don't know, a top 15 team today. Uh, and I think they still have that potential to, uh, you know, improve over the course of the season and uh, get to the point where they're uh, right back into the final four contender that we thought they would be going into the year. You mentioned uh, that last night Kelly Oubre looked as good as you've seen him this year. And he, he looked as good as I've seen him this year. I've actually seen Kansas, I think in person, four times maybe, a Champions Classic and then three times down in Orlando. And he looked lost on the court. It wasn't even like he was like struggling to a ad- like he just looked lost. Like he didn't belong on the court. And immediately, because like I don't have eyes that other people don't have, um, you know, everybody think you know was like God. He doesn't look comfortable out there. He doesn't look good enough. And immediately, I some of the feedback I heard was, well, here's another example of of re- uh, recruiting analyst, you know, two four seven sports and scout.com and rivals.com and whoever o- overrating a kid and. I'm not going to pretend that that doesn't happen sometimes. Certainly it does. It happens at all levels of everything. But um, I remember talking to NBA scouts 
and like you know front office executives down in Orlando. And what I found interesting is what is they were all just as baffled by this as anybody else. It wasn't like they were going, yeah, he was always overrated. They were like, no, we saw him at USA with USA Basketball. We've seen him enough to know he's really good. Like he's he's this isn't like one of those things where he was overrated. This is one of those things where, for whatever reason, it, it's not working. And so um, they were shocked that he was such a um, I'm playing such a minimal role. Uh, with Kansas, and still 16 minutes for a guy who's projected to be in some places a top five pick isn't great. But to your point, um, it's way better than it was just you know a couple of weeks ago. Meantime, Nebraska um, they only lost once at home all last season, and that's through the Big Ten schedule as well. Last night uh, they lost at home for the second time in three days. This time to Incarnate Word, a San Antonio-based Southland school that's in its second season of Division One basketball. Consequently, Nebraska which was a, a preseason top 25 team, is now 5-3 and three with losses to Rhode Island, Creighton, and Incarnate Word. What in the world is going on with Tim Miles' team? Yeah, I, I think that that's a pretty alarming loss. I mean, uh, losing at Rhode Island, you can kind of chalk it up to bad scheduling right. a little bit. Uh, uh, you know, the Creighton game, it's a rivalry game. I know this isn't a, a great Creighton team, and they're rebuilding a little bit from last year, but they'd still beaten Oklahoma. They, you know, they have their moments. So even though that came at home, I, I guess you can kind of look past that one. It's a little harder to look past a loss to Incarnate Word, right. um, you know. And I, I mean, I think the biggest issue for for Nebraska right now is that nobody besides uh, Teron Petway and Siobhan Shields is doing much of anything offensively. Uh, you know, they brought in Ty Webster from New Zealand a couple of years ago. He was supposed to be, uh, you know, kind of their their point guard for uh, for the next three four years, and uh, he's fallen out of the starting lineup. He has a uh, uh, negative assist to turnover ratio. He's not shooting well. Walter Pitchford is uh, shooting below 30% from the season. Uh, they're not hitting threes consistently. They don't really have a, uh, a traditional low post scorer. So pretty much their entire offense is uh, uh, Shields and Petway either uh, shooting or, uh, or forcing shots from the perimeter. And uh, you know, even against Incarnate Word, that that's not enough, and uh, it's going to show up even more so in uh, uh, in Big Ten play if uh, if they don't get things figured out. So, you know, they have Cincinnati coming up uh, this week, and that's not exactly a, a defense you want to see when you're struggling <laughs> offensively. Uh, so, I, I guess I'm I'm concerned about Nebraska, and I, I thought that they were going to take a step forward after making the NCAA tournament last season for the first time in a long time, and. Uh, at this point, I'm uh, I'm reconsidering that. Yeah, because like even last year, they weren't good. Off, they weren't like they weren't good offensively, but they did no. they, they did just enough to get by. And now they're yep. even worse than that. And I, I think, listen, I I you know I had Nebraska preseason top twenty five. I had them um, uh, pick second to you know in the Big Ten behind only Wisconsin, and while recognizing you know you could take right after Wisconsin and mix those teams up in any order in the preseason, and it would have been reasonable. Michigan State, Michigan. Um, even Iowa, Nebraska, like whatever. They all seemed on paper to be this, about the same caliber of team. But like this is one of those things where um, you look at it on November 11th, it looks one way to you, or at least you can convince yourself of something. You look back at it December 11th, knowing what we know, and you go, okay, what was Nebraska really last year? Like they were a poor offensive team that just won a bunch of games at home and still just barely snuck in the NCAA tournament. I think from that you assume, okay, most of the important pieces are back. They'll be better. But sometimes they just you, – maybe some of the bounces that went your way one year don't go your way the next. And that's the difference between, you know, on December 11th being a one-loss team and a three-loss team. And then um, maybe, you're, maybe you're just not 
you know, you're just basically the same caliber of team last this year as you were last year, but you get a few unlucky bounces, and that's the difference between making and missing an NCAA tournament. So it's going to be interesting to see if Tim can can get that together because I'm I'm like you, I could. I could discount, hey, you know what, you shouldn't lose at Rhode Island or to Rhode Island, but at least you scheduled the game, you went out there, big deal for them, whatever. Rivalry game against Creighton, whatever. But like this one is one where you really, you got to start to have some some big concerns. Uh, you live on the West Coast for people who don't know, and so I want to get your thoughts on uh, some of the West Coast teams. There are four schools out your way that are top 25 at Ken Palm right now, Arizona, Gonzaga, Utah and San Diego State. We know Arizona and Gonzaga are going to be in the NCAA tournament. That goes without saying. Utah, San Diego State, they safe picks right now? You believe in both those schools? I believe in, in Utah a little bit more at the moment, which is which is interesting because uh, I, I was there in person when San Diego State beat them. Um, but I, I think that uh, that Utah has showed a lot in the uh, in the last couple weeks. Uh, I wrote pretty extensively about uh, Jakob Pertl, uh, their uh, freshman center, right. who's uh, Getting a fair amount of interest uh, from from NBA folks right now is considered a, a potential first round pick, whether that's uh, this year or next year or down the road. And I, I think he's done a lot to really, uh, you know, solidify Utah as my choice as the uh, the second best team uh, in the Pac-12 besides uh, Arizona. And you saw it a little bit last night there without Jordan Loverich, who's uh, an All Conference player, uh, you know, one of the better scorers in the uh, in the Pac-12, and yet. They go to BYU and uh, they survive a terrible shooting night. They didn't shoot well from the perimeter. They didn't shoot well from the free throw line. They were facing, uh, you know, a, a sold out crowd and one of the better offensive teams on the West Coast, and they win anyway. And and the reason for that is that uh, they're really consistent defensively. Delon Wright had uh, one of his best games of the season last night, and then they have just enough role players around Wright, Pirtle, and. Uh, uh, leverage when he comes back that uh, it, it's the deepest team that Larry's had and um, you know to come from where they came from when he took over they had six wins in Larry's first season there they were playing schools like Evergreen State on their schedule <laughs> just just to find a win I mean they, they were losing to everyone uh, and you know to come from that and here they are last year they had sort of a modest breakthrough season uh, didn't didn't make the NCAA tournament because they, they didn't schedule well enough but you know, this year's team to me looks like a clear NCAA tournament team, probably a, a consistent top 20 team most of the season. And uh, certainly my choice is the uh, the second best team in the Pac-12 um, to get to San Diego State really quick. I, I still believe in the Aztecs. I think they they are as good defensively as uh, anyone not named Kentucky in the uh, uh, in the country. Um, my concern still, as it was before the season, is still offensively for them. And, you know, Xavier Thames may not have gotten a ton of publicity outside of the West Coast last year, but I'm not sure that any one player was more valuable to his team than Thames was. Uh, And it was from a leadership standpoint. It was from a scoring standpoint. But more than anything, it was when they had 12 seconds on the shot clock uh, and they were in a half-court offense, the only play they ran was a high ball screen for Xavier Thames. They basically gave him the ball 80% 80% of the time, 90% of the time in those situations and said create. And I think that that uh, is part of the reason why they're struggling so much offensively this year. When I when I talked to Steve Fisher, he says that he thinks that this will be a better offensive team than last year. And I, I understand why he says it. It's because they have more scoring options, more ways to score than they did last year. However, there's not a go-to threat and they don't have an offensive identity yet. 
And then they're really missing uh, actually Akil Quinn, uh, sure. who was probably their uh, their best shooter uh, for the first uh, three, four weeks of the season before getting hurt. So the combination of that has really uh, taken away from their offense and has uh, – you know, left them as a team that's uh, going to keep other teams in the game with their offense and is going to keep themselves in the game with their defense. And I think that'll lead to some good wins this season. But I also think it'll lead to a couple of, uh, uh, you know, head-scratching losses like they almost suffered at home against Long Beach State last night. Right. I mean, they just can't score it. Like, you know, they're going to be great enough defensively to, to hang around with basically anybody. But there's going to be nights where they just cannot put the ball in the basket. And when they can't, yep. that becomes a struggle against anybody. Back to Utah for just a second. Um, it's just nice for the Pac-12 to have another, like, prominent program. And that's not one like, you know, when Washington State pops up and is good randomly or Arizona State pops up and is good randomly. I mean, this is a program, this Utah program with – with real tradition and real history. I, I think it's easy to forget sometimes because they've been uh, so off the radar recently. But like, you know, NCAA tournament, 93, 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000, 2002, 3, 4, 5. Um, you know, they, they've been to Sweet 16s in 96, 7, 8, 2005, went to the Final Four in 98, um, played for the National Championship in 98. So this is a program that's always had that kind of potential, or at least it was that kind of program under Rick Majerus. But um, that the idea that Larry's now got it back to a respectable point, and not only a respectable point, like a, you know, it's a legitimate top 25 team is a really nice deal. UCLA plays um, Kentucky, not this weekend, but the next weekend. It's December 20th going to be CBS Sports Classic in Chicago. The Bruins are 8-2, and two, but, you know, there aren't really any good wins on the resume. What kind of team does Steve Alford have this season? <laughs> I think he has a really good starting lineup and not much beyond those top six guys. Um, I, I can't remember a, uh, a a power conference team, especially one with as uh, as much tradition as UCLA, that has as little depth as uh, as this UCLA team uh, has. Um, they have only three scholarship guards. Uh, you know, they essentially have three big men who they play, and then they uh, have. Uh, um, a couple of younger players who just aren't really ready uh, for uh, for big games, and so I, I think that's a huge concern over the uh, over the course of the season. I mean, you know, it's a concern. They got into foul trouble last night and didn't really have a lot of options against UC Riverside, which is fairly alarming. Uh, you know, and then if you have an injury in the backcourt, I, I just don't know how they survive that in the long term, but. The, the good news for UCLA is that that starting lineup is pretty good. Mm -hmm. uh, Kevon Looney has been fantastic, one of the uh, the better freshmen in the country. He's uh, averaging close to a double-double or might even be a double-double at this point. Um, I, I think uh, Norman Powell has uh, really made strides this season. He's kind of uh, emerged from the shadow of the uh, Shabazz Muhammads and uh, uh, some of the other uh, great wings that UCLA has had there and has kind of been the, uh, the guy to carry the Bruins this year. Um, I, I think that uh, it's a concern to me that, uh, that Bryce Alford is the, uh, the only real point guard uh, on the roster. I, I like Bryce Alford. He's better than I expected him to be. Uh, you know, he can look really good against teams who don't have uh, great athleticism. But when he faces the uh, Arizonas or the Washingtons or, uh, you know, you saw it a little bit in the, uh, the Bahamas, he's just overmatched uh, athletically and they have to hide him defensively. And he's not as effective uh, on offense either. And 
they don't really have another option. I guess you could try Isaac Hamilton for a few minutes at a time, uh, you know, uh, trying to uh, set up the offense and create for other people, but that's not really his DNA as uh, all the Hamiltons have been. He's, <laughs> he's very much a score first guy. Sure. Um, so, you know, bottom line with UCLA, I, I think that, that the, that their starting lineup is good enough that they'll probably beat some teams that, uh, the folks might not expect them to beat. But I think over the course of the season, the attrition and, uh, you know, the injuries that are likely to come, I think it's really going to put a, a ceiling on what UCLA can accomplish. I see them as an NCAA tournament team. You know, I could even see them finishing, uh, I don't know, third in the Pac-12 if, uh, if they're able to stay healthy. But I just don't think that this is a great UCLA team. And I think this is sort of a transition year for, uh, uh, for Steve until they can, uh, can get a little bit more depth uh, in next year. Across town from UCLA is obviously USC. Where are we in the Andy Enfield era at USC? Last season was terrible, 11-21, and 21, I think was the record. 6-3 and three this season, but you know, no good wins and a loss to Portland State. Um, where are we with Andy Enfield at USC? Well, I, I think the only reason why this team is at least more watchable than last year's team is at least this year's team has some young players that they're going to build around. Right. Uh, Jordan McLaughlin, their uh, their freshman point guard, is a, a, a guy that they uh, beat UCLA and a number of other schools for in a recruiting battle, and uh, he's kind of you know one of the pieces that's part of the future of, of USC. And they're just handing him the ball and saying, you know, good good luck, and uh, throwing him out there and letting him learn on the fly. And uh, uh, early in the season, he had uh, you know a lot of turnovers as you as you'd expect for a freshman point guard in that situation. He started to play a little bit better lately. That's one of the reasons they had a uh, you know at least halfway decent win over uh, over New Mexico uh, on the road recently. Actually, pretty good win considering it was on the road for uh, uh, you know even if this isn't a vintage uh, New Mexico team, but. He's coming along a little bit. Caden Reinhardt, the uh, the UNLV transfer, is uh, you know another piece for them for for the future. And uh, the bottom line is they're not going to be a a team that's going to contend in the Pac-12 this year. They're not going to finish in the upper half of that conference. But if they're able to make a little bit of progress on the court, get a few wins here and there, and most importantly, get those young players some experience. I, I still think there's hope for uh, for what Andy's trying to do there. I, I, I just think that people have to be patient and people have to understand that he was left with almost nothing when Kevin O'Neill left. And uh, this is going to be a, a three- and four-year re- rebuild, not a, a one- to two-year one. Remember, today's Eye on College Basketball podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now Redesign with Squarespace 7 interface, including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates, and cover pages. And Squarespace has an amazing support team. Works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Everything starts at just $8 a month. It includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website. So your content is going to look great on every device every single time. So to start a free trial with no credit card required, uh, and get to building your website today, just go to squarespace.com. And again, make sure to use the offer code FUN to get 10% off and to show your support for the I On College Basketball Podcast. at Squarespace. Start here. Uh, go anywhere. Let's get to some news and notes presented by Squarespace. Let's start with Georgetown. Last night wore the I Can't Breathe t-shirts in warm-ups. Um, 
the first college team to do it. We've seen Derrick Rose. We've seen LeBron and some of the Brooklyn Nets. We saw the Lakers the night prior and then Georgetown um, last night. Um, you know, basically the whole team, if not the entire team. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Do you think other college teams are going to follow suit or is this this um, I don't want to say this issue because this issue is not going away. But will these sorts of public statements from basketball players start to dwindle in, in uh, coming days? I suspect it dwindles eventually. It wouldn't surprise me to see a a few more uh, you know college teams fall suit in the uh, the coming days. I, I, I guess I I like the fact that uh, that athletes are speaking out on a social issue that's important to them. I, right. I hope it's just not uh, you know guys seeing Kobe and LeBron doing doing it and uh, you know and just following suit. I hope it's something that's important to them and that that's why the Georgetown players did it. Um, I, you know, regardless of how you feel on that particular subject, I guess I just like uh, the college athletes rec- recognize their, uh, you know, role models is too strong, but people who uh, at least have a voice and a platform. And uh, I, I like that, that Georgetown was uh, was willing to use it last night. Yeah, no, and I'm I'm with you completely. Now, I, I do think it's um it's probably a little bit of they saw LeBron. I don't think Georgetown would do this if Kobe, Derek, and LeBron hadn't done it first. Yeah, you know, like um I, I think so, like with like you know you you watch uh, Allen Iverson wear a shooting sleeve, and next thing you know, college kids are wearing shooting <laughs> sleeves. You watch you know Chandler Parsons or whomever throw on like uh you know, tights under his shorts and then the college kids have tights under their shorts. And so like, there's definitely a little bit of a copycat thing going on, but, but still, um, I don't know. My position on these types of things has always been in general, I don't care why you start to care about something as long as you start to care about something. Right. And so maybe if they were led to this cause to the extent that it's a cause, um, strictly by, Hey, LeBron did something that's kind of cool. We'll just do what LeBron did. Um, if it gets them to open their eyes, to take a real look and to feel passionately about something, like if they come in the side door, so to speak, um, at least they're in the house now. And so I'm, uh, I'm with you. I, 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 I like the idea of seeing um, college kids, um, particularly ones with, with voices that can make a statement um, uh, on some level, whatever level they can make a statement, um, actually, you know, stand up and, and, and try to do it, almost regardless of what the cause. I, I, you know, I, because I host a radio show, this this has been a topic of conversation, you know, the past few days, and you know, every once in a while you'll run into somebody who, you know, will just want to try to play devil's advocate for, you know, the sake of playing devil's advocate, and they're like, well, what if somebody came out and wore a shirt that said blah, 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 somebody come out, and like, listen, there's a line between, um you know, having your voice heard and like just being stupid or reckless or hateful or whatever. So like just, you know, throwing anything you want on a t-shirt to try to make a point. Yes, there's there's some idiotic things you could do. But this one um, seems, not seems to, it's an obviously undeniable um, important issue uh, for our entire country, but certainly for the African-American community. And it's something that they feel uh, I don't want to speak in broad terms, but seemingly the overwhelming majority um, feel strongly about. And so I thought it was a really cool thing to, um, you know, I was on Twitter last night. As soon as I got off the radio, among the first things I see is Georgetown players are wearing these shirts. I thought it was a, a neat deal. Uh, meantime, Mark Emmert gave a uh, interview. He's the president of the NCAA. And he said that he has no problem, in theory, with the idea of, College basketball players leaving college, turning pro, playing in the D League, and then returning to college to play again at the Division One level. Does that make any sense to you? 
it, it makes no sense. <laughs> That's what I thought, too. <laughs> so, so, so that, that I, I was literally searching to see if there was something that I was missing on <laughs> right. I saw it. Because I get the idea of, uh, you know, having a uh, an undrafted player return to college. I think that makes a ton of sense. I wish they would consider that more. Or having a player who goes in the second round doesn't get a guaranteed contract. Having him return to college, I can understand that. I think that makes sense, especially with this... Uh, ridiculous accelerated uh, timetable for uh, for players to uh, to declare for the draft but having d-league players come <laughs> come back to college that makes zero sense to me those guys are gone they're they're playing professionally already most of them probably don't even have a ton of interest in returning to college <laughs> right. I, I just think there are so many issues with the draft process and for that to be the one that uh, that Emmert is open to I, I don't get it I'm with you like I read it and I was like okay what am I getting what am I missing here like I you know like I maybe I misunderstood and so then I did some more reading and like listen I am fundamentally for student athletes rights I think the whole system should be blown up and we should start over because the system we have right now is ridiculous um, but like you know if you're a professional you're a professional like if you go play you know the 30 games for the Iowa energy you, you don't need to be able to go back to michigan state you know so like i, I don't know it's just a, such a, a bizarre thing for the president of the ncaa to throw out there as it's something that's been bouncing around his head because it just um again it doesn't make any sense on on any level um early this morning uh, bryce deshaun jones the uh, iowa state guard who's off to a terrific start we named him the uh, player of the week at cbssports.com this past week because he was just awesome and wins over Arkansas and UMKC uh, not only in averaging I think 24 and a half points but like he shot a ridiculous percentage from the field he was the latest um, and this is sort of what I wrote earlier in the week um, transfer project uh, for Fred Hoiberg that seemingly was was going really well um, you know Royce White was a mess once upon a time and is uh, apparently a, a mess now and I don't say that to be um, derogatory in any way like I recognize he deals with mental illness but in terms of being a, um, a professional basketball player it hasn't gone well and before he got to Iowa State it didn't go well but while he was at Iowa State Fred figured out a way to make it work um, last year there was DeAndre Kane who was you know, basically removed from school at Marshall, enrolled at Iowa State, and was awesome. And so Bryce DeJohn Jones um, was on that path, it, it appeared. And then this morning, um, arrested at his apartment, uh, basically loud noise, been warned several times, cops finally show up, smell marijuana, you know, charging with what amounts to possession of marijuana and some sort of noise violation and whatever. It's like 3 a.m. Now, in fairness, um, what college kid wasn't in a, an apartment once upon a time where there was weed and loud music, right? Um, but 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 beyond that, um, it is like he's got a mugshot now, and that's never good. And Iowa State plays Iowa tomorrow night, and though there is no word at this moment about whether he'll be available, my guess would be he wouldn't, and so this is not ideal. Um, is this a case of just, hey, college kids will be college kids, or is it where Fred's um, willingness to gamble on known problematic student athletes, guys who have, I don't want to say are criminals, but have been issues at other programs, for either on the court or off the court. Is this just one where, hey, you know, you, you're not going to hit a thousand, you know, eventually you're going to strike out and, and strike out is, is way too harsh. Eventually you're going to, it's going to bite you on some level. And, and maybe this is an example of that. What do you make of all this story? 
I, I think it's more the latter, but yeah. I think you, you touched on uh, something that I completely agree with uh, a, a second ago, and that was the idea that it just felt like that Fred kind of had the golden touch with the, with transfers and that no matter who he brought in, uh, that it was going to be a seamless transition. I mean, like you said, DeAndre came, you know, was a guy who there were probably programs out there who weren't going to touch, uh, you know, a couple of the transfers that they took from Michigan State. Um, you know, same same kind of thing. Issues in their previous program, other schools might not have touched him. Uh, Royce White, same thing. And yet all those guys did great at Iowa State and were, uh, you know, as far as we know anyway, model citizens there and, uh, you know, great success stories. And so I think if another program had taken Bryce DeJean Jones, I, I, I might have questioned it just because of the reputation that he had built at, uh, at USC and especially at UNLV. I mean, there were issues uh all last season, uh, you know, with him at UNLV, um, obviously not from a criminal standpoint, but just from from a standpoint of uh, getting along with his teammates and, uh, you know, uh, his his shot selection and uh, any number of things on the floor. Um, but when he went to Iowa State, you, you just looked at their track record and, and you're, you're kind of like, well, OK, I mean, it's worked <laughs> before. Why want to work again? And uh uh, you know, it, it seemed like for the first uh, few weeks of the season, things were going great. Obviously, like you said, he had had the, uh, the two huge games against uh, Arkansas and Missouri, Kansas City. Uh, and then for this to come on the eve of the, uh, the Iowa game, it's sort of a, uh, an eye opener and a, uh, um, you know, a real blow to the, uh, the Cyclones. And I, I'm with you. I mean, what college student hasn't, uh, you know, been in a loud party with, uh, with weed there, but th- at the same time, it's sort of like the Indiana stuff that sure. we discussed uh, a few weeks ago. If you're a high profile student athlete, you know, you have to hold yourself to a slightly higher level of conduct than the rest of the student body, because you know what happens if something like this, uh, uh, you know, comes up in the middle of the season. And so, you know, he's a senior, uh, you know, he's had uh, issues at other programs before, um, you know, he, he probably uh, uh, came to Iowa State knowing the situation. And so I, I guess I have a hard time feeling sorry for Bryce DeJean Jones here in this situation. All he had to do was kind of keep it together for uh, for one year. And, uh, you know, this isn't the biggest deal in the world, I, I, I'm guessing anyway. Uh, you know, we don't know yet for sure, but I, I doubt that this leads to his dismissal or anything. Yeah. But I, I, I certainly think it jeopardizes his availability in a big game against Iowa tomorrow night, and uh, I, I think that's a disservice to the program. Sure, yeah, and I, I'm with you on this. Like, uh, on one hand, I, you know, like I, I can look at it and go, okay, college kids sitting around smoking, listening to music, like, you know, we, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, most of us have probably been in that scene. Um, the uh, on the other, you know, so like if it were my cousin, I'd like, you know, I my my 19 year old cousin or 22 year old cousin, I'd be like, yo, man, like, what are you doing? But whatever, like, I I get it. Um, but like when you're a Division One student athlete and a high profile guy, you 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 have to hold yourself to another standard because this is what I always, um, t- you know, whenever I end up talking to speaking to teams or anything like that, and in, in, in these t- sorts of conversations. Uh, you know, uh, develop my, my message is always like, just recognize, like, you know, I have a, a son who's 11 and one day he'll be 19. And if he gets arrested, it probably won't be on the local news. You know, if he gets arrested, it probably won't be in the newspaper. Um, but if you get arrested, it is not only on the local news and in the newspaper, you know, somebody like me has to write about it. It will be on the ticker on CBS sports network and ESPN news. And so just, 
you know, be careful, you know, because it, um, what you do matters more than what most people your age do. And um, if nothing else, Bryce DeJean Jones, for whatever reason, seemingly uh, forgot that early this morning. And um, now I imagine there's a pot price to pay. At the very least, it's going to be uh, incredibly negative attention put on his program, which is bad. It brings his coach into question who took a chance on him, which is bad. But in a more tangible way, um, probably not going to be available for what is a massive in-state rivalry game against uh, Iowa on tomorrow night. We'll see. Okay, well, um, I've kept Jeff Eisenberg here long enough, kept you guys here long enough, so uh, let's get out of here, but not before. Uh, I just thank everybody for listening. You really kind of do that. The feedback you guys provide on Twitter and other places is is um, really, really uh, appreciated. So thank you for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast over on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest edition, so make sure to do that. It's free, and free is good. And remember, uh, you can follow Jeff Eisenberg on Twitter. That's at Jeff Eisenberg, at Jeff Eisenberg. Have an awesome weekend, everybody. I'll talk to you again early next week. Uh, Until then, um, take care.